Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I want to share with you some uh, what, if you've been following along in the Torah readings that the Jewish community is also doing, uh, you realize that the central character that's being discussed right now in the parashayot in the Torah portion is a, an individual that we could call his name Yosef Bar Yaakov, Joseph the son of Jacob. What an interesting person he is. Uh, those of us are familiar with it, which is probably most of us, we realize that his life wasn't always so easy. At least in this part of the Torah portion, as we get into Genesis chapter 45, which we'll read in just a moment, uh, he has accomplished quite a bit by the blessing and the hand of God. He's ended up in a place of great authority in Eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Egypt. He's a person that has been uh, entrusted with much authority in Egypt, even though he's not an Egyptian. Uh, but his brothers, <laughs> his brothers think he is an Egyptian, which is a story in itself. So here today, I want to share with us some thoughts about Yosef, Joseph, and then also in Shabbaton, we'll be discussing uh, the Torah portion as well. Let me read this passage to start with from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse 1. And as I read it, I'm going to uh, also insert several Hebrew phrases. Some of you I noticed this morning, Timothy and Miriam and a few others had their Hebrew Bibles out and they were studying before I even, we even started uh, uh, getting together here this morning. They had their Hebrew English Bibles out and they were studying and uh, I thought that was very impressive. So follow along, uh, we'll insert a few Hebrew phrases into the English as we go along. Bereshit, Genesis chapter 45, beginning with verse 1. Then Joseph, commonly called Yosef, could not restrain himself. The complete Jewish Bible translation of that phrase, the complete Jewish Bible says that Joseph couldn't control his feelings. Can anybody relate to that, by the way? Have you ever had situations where it was difficult to control your feelings? It says that Joseph could not restrain himself. He couldn't control his feelings before all those who stood by him, which included his brothers who didn't know who he was, and some Egyptian servants around him that were serving them. And Joseph cried out, Make everyone go out from me. And I can imagine he really cried it out, not like I just said it. But he cried out, said, make everyone go out from me. And then the Hebrew says, velo, velo amad ishito. And so no one stood with him, with Joseph, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. To me, this is one of the most poignant passages about Joseph's life. That situation when He's been interacting with his brothers the whole time, and it's quite a, quite a situation. And they don't realize who he is. They don't recognize him. It's hard to imagine that, but they didn't recognize him. It says, So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 45, it continues, And Joseph wept aloud tells you, in a sense, how hard he wept with the next phrase. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. So I don't think he was just quietly sobbing. I mean, he was having a real cry, a real loud cry, so much so that it resonated throughout the whole premise that he was in. As it says, and Joseph wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. 
You can imagine their thoughts as they heard him crying because they had always seen him since he had been raised up into authority. They'd always seen him as the person that had like great control over himself. The one who's in authority, the one who makes wise decisions, the one who's there, the one that's this like this constant. And then they hear him crying, and Joseph wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Ani Yosef Aod Avichai, I am Joseph, Ani Yosef. Can you say that with me? Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. You can take the word Ani, which means I or I am, depending on context, and you can add your name after it. Say Ani Michael, I am Michael. You can add your name to it. But in this case, it says Ani Yosef Haodavichai, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Interesting first question that he asks his brothers. He asked about his father. But his brothers could not answer him. His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me, which we get the name of this portion from. Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, Ani Yosef Achichem, I am Joseph, your brother. And then there's this statement, and I can just imagine how this resonated with the brothers. There's this next statement. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. (laughs) And the very next statement becomes extremely important because Joseph, in a sense, uh, lets the cat out of the bag, the proverbial cat out of the bag. This whole time they've been dealing with Joseph, they didn't realize it. This whole time his brother's been dealing with they didn't recognize him. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And I don't know. It doesn't say if they looked at one another at that point. They didn't say if they cringed. They didn't say if they went, oi. You don't just say anything like that. It says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The irony there is is incredible. They, had, they tried to off his life. They tried to get rid of Joseph. And here he is telling them when he finally reveals himself to them, and uh, you can just imagine what he went through the whole time knowing that those were his brothers. He could understand what they were saying, by the way. As they spoke Hebrew, he understood them. And he didn't let on. And there's a lot of funny situations that can happen like that when uh, someone, a native speaker, understands what's being said and the people that are saying it don't realize that someone next to them understands it. I told you a story that happened. True story. Some Israelis were in a taxi cab in New York City. True story. Heard it directly from them. And they didn't realize that the, the cab driver had picked up another person and that lady was sitting in the front seat And he had also picked up two Israelis, friends, actually Messianic Jews, I might add. (laughs) And they sat in the back seat. And for some reason, and I really don't recommend this, but they spoke in Hebrew about the lady that was in front of them because she was was extremely big. (laughs) And they said, what a cow she is. (laughs) True story. And this lady, she had dyed her hair blonde, and she didn't look Israeli at all, kind of like Joseph didn't look like Joseph here. And she turned around and addressed them in fluent Hebrew. And uh, yes, that's exactly it. And they said they just, they shrunk from, they were felt like they shrunk down to the mini men, you know, this big. And that whole time Joseph's interacting with his brothers, they understood what, he was, what they were saying. He understood what they were saying there. And so this passage that I just read, this passage from Bereshit, Genesis chapter 45, I think it is a passage that's rife with human drama. There's so much human drama here. 
I mean, to me, this is one of the most moving passages. When Joseph finally reveals himself and he, he breaks down in weeping that's so loud that the whole household of Pharaoh hears. It's very moving. After all that time and they thought that he was dead, they thought that they had done him in. They thought he was out of their life. He, and, you know, he wasn't. God had other plans. Joseph, who was this long lost and thought to be dead son of Jacob, he revealed himself to his brothers. They thought he was gone. They thought they had succeeded. He revealed himself to his brothers who had actually done him quite a bit of evil. How many agree, as you know the story of Joseph and his brothers, that they did quite a bit of evil to him? They spoke badly about him. They threw him in the pit. They sold him. They wanted to kill him. Uh, they despised him. In, in a sense, they hated him. They couldn't stand him. They didn't want to hear him. They didn't want to hear about his dreams. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And they tried to get rid of him. And then in this portion, in Genesis chapter 45, when the realization that Joseph was alive... He was still alive that they hadn't succeeded in, in their uh, nefarious plans that they had. They realized Joseph's still alive, and his brothers are absolutely stunned to realize that it's Joseph there with them. The text says in English that they were dismayed, dismayed by this. Genesis chapter 45 verse 3 says, his brothers could not answer him. He reveals himself. He starts talking to them. His brothers can't speak. They're speechless. And we know from prior texts as we read through the Torah about Joseph and his brothers that Joseph's brothers were pretty good speakers. There's a lot of dialogue that's listed with Joseph's brothers especially in relationship to Joseph and their plans about him back uh, uh, previously in the book of Genesis. His brothers could not answer him, and as I said before, for they were dismayed in his presence. Soon they realized, and I mean it happened, uh, it took a little while for it to, you know, what's the saying, to seep in, to sink into them. They realized that the man in front of them who was dressed like an Egyptian, who talked like an Egyptian, who acted like an Egyptian, that this very one that they'd been dealing with was actually their brother. Talk about a revelation. There it is. This is the brother that they had despised. This is the brother that they had mistreated. This is the brother that they had mocked. They had mocked him. This is the brother that they had callously sold him into bondage and desired him to be gone from their lives, and there he was. And I think, friends, here today there's a strong biblical lesson, actually quite a few, but I want to camp on one a little bit here. There's a strong biblical lesson for us to grasp as we read this section of the parasha. You know, Scripture tells us that God exposes darkness. We say it in many different ways. We just uh, concluded the celebration of Hanukkah, and what a great celebration we had at Rosh Pina this year for Hanukkah. And we used ideas like that light dispels darkness, that darkness can't stand in the light, it can't withstand in the light. We use that. And it seems like God, as it says in Tehillim Psalm 27, says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Yeshua, in describing himself in one of his several I am statements, he says, I am or ha'olam, I am the light of the world there. Light dispels darkness, and God seems to expose darkness as he worked in your life by the power of his Holy Spirit with that heavenly flashlight, if I could use that term, that heavenly spotlight, and, and focused in on something in your life that he wanted out of your life, that it was darkness, and he wanted light to come in that area, and how, how merciful he is to us to do that how kind he is to us to actually work with us as a father with a son to train us and, and, and by the power of spirit to transform us. But God has his ways of upending the proud. He has his ways of intervening in circumstances 
in lives when and how he chooses. Have you ever tried to figure out God's method? I, you know, you can't. He's inscrutable. Once you think you have him, it's the old concept that's commonly uh, spoken in theology about God in a box. Once you think you've got God in a box, you find out pretty soon that his boundaries are different. That he's, he's well beyond anything. His, his, his thoughts, as Isaiah 55 says, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And we should be an exceedingly grateful people as we end 2022 that during this past year he's been dealing with us as a father does a child, a son or a daughter. That he's been working in our lives in, in, in a merciful way so that we don't end up going in the way of darkness, which is sure judgment. But instead, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And it tells us in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Blessed be his name. So when it comes to our walk in the Lord, and I hope everybody here hearing these words has a personal relationship with Yeshua, that you have received him as your Lord and Savior because there's no other Lord, as Kevin expressed in the liturgy. He's the Lord. There's no other one. That's who we turn to. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as I spoke about last week. But if we don't build our lives upon his word and his truth and build our lives in, in response to his Holy Spirit working in our lives, what are we actually building we too could find ourselves, you know, in, in a sense, we could find ourselves walking increasingly in ways that aren't pleasing to him. I want you to notice, please, what Isaiah said. It's a passage that's ascribed prophetically to Yohanan Amatbil, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, as he's commonly called. In Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 3, notice this, these verses, please. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the desert, a desert can be a tough place at times. And then it says this in verse 4. It says, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. It's, it, when you think about that, what an incredible statement that is that every valley shall be exalted, every mountain laid low. Now, how many of you have spent time in mountains? If you have, please raise your hand. I know some of us have. You know, there, there, I just want to state this about mountains. <laughs> and there are many of them, but mountains are incredible piece of work. <laughs> if you've spent time in the mountains, and then you've also tilled a little soil at your house... And by the time you got done tilling that little bit of soil at your house, you were sweating and you were tired. And just think that the mountains are made of rocks and they're huge. I've had the privilege to see quite a few of them over the years in different continents and places. I've had the privilege to fly over the Alps and, and be in that area. I've had the privilege to be in uh, Mount Hermon in, in Israel and, and, the, and through the Rocky Mountains. And some of you had that in the Catskills when I was growing up and the Adirondacks when I was growing up in other places, the Poconos. Those mountains are immense there. And yet it says that, it says that, a high, it says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted. And then it says, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And notice also Luke chapter 12. As we, let me continue with this thought a little further here. Luke chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that Yeshua clued in his followers. He clued them in by giving them a warning that still applies to his followers today. Listen to these words of warning in Luke chapter 12 verses 2 and also 3. He said this to his followers, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. It reminds me so much of Joseph. 
nor hidden that will not be known. In verse 3, therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. There's many ways to look at this passage. One thing for sure is that God is going to uncover and reveal. And there is a, a response that we should have as believers that we should desire to walk in his truth in our lives, to walk in his truth, not push truth aside and, and accept something in exchange. That's a bad exchange. But we want to walk in the truth of the Lord. We should make sure that our lives are grounded on the truth of God's Word. I hope as we enter into 2023, as God wills, that we'll, we'll make a, a, a step forward in the area of personal devotion. We'll, we'll take a step forward in the area of reading our Scriptures and memorizing verses if we can. We'll take a step forward in the area of fellowshipping, being more consistent with fellowshipping. We'll take a step forward in being more consistent with giving. We'll take a step forward in being more consistent with volunteering and connecting with the community. We'll take a step forward in those good things that God desires of us. And we'll, we'll step farther and farther away from those bad things that the world desires for us because there's no life in them. There's no life in darkness. There is great life in the light of Yeshua, the Messiah. Let me read this again, Luke 12, 2 and 3, and may this sink deeply into our lives, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark, notice it says spoken. You've spoken in the dark, will be heard in the light. And notice this next statement, what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms where you think no one can hear will be proclaimed on the housetops. After all, it makes great biblical sense that he who created the eye can also see. It makes great biblical sense that he who created our ears can also hear. So let's be careful, friends, and let's walk in the fear of the Lord. Let's make sure that our lives are grounded upon the truth, the Word of God, by the power of His Spirit. I've always loved Matthew 7 since I first read it as a, a, a new believer, and I had never heard this stuff. And I read Matthew, uh, the sermon was common called the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you love the Sermon on the Mount? You really appreciate it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there are parallel passages. But when I get to the end of Matthew 7, when I was first reading this, I remember how struck I was by this, this particular example that Yeshua gives. It begins in verse 24. You, you know this probably by heart, but let it sink into us what he's saying here. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Yeshua's words, whoever hears what Yeshua says, and the next statement is, and does them. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What are you building on in your life? And the rain descended, the floods came. Notice that trials and challenges came. And the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. It didn't fall. Why? For it was founded on the rock. And Yeshua truly is the rock of our salvation. His words truly are light onto our path and feet. Verse 26 in Matthew 7, Matthew 7 continues with the contrast, the contradistinction point. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, notice both are hearing, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine, but one does, and then this one says, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and you know what? It fell. It fell. And then there's this added statement Besides the fall, it says, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. 
In our Torah portion about Yosef bar Yaakov, Joseph the son of Jacob, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and it was quite an emotional revelation. The emotions were uh, on many different ways. Joseph cries out, as we've mentioned a couple times here this morning, and it says his brothers were dismayed. I don't know what picture that gives to you. I can almost see their jaw dropping, and they can't talk, and they can't respond. It says they couldn't respond. But the truth came out. And Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. In a sense, the truth came out. It came out. And as the truth came out, at that moment, as we read in the Parashah and Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 45, as the truth came out, there were some other things connected to this that were incredible. The darkened fruit of their lies being exposed. Their deceptions were going to be exposed. After all, they had told their father, Yaakov, they had told Jacob that what? That Joseph had been ravaged by a wild beast. And they had set in motion this scheme way back in the book of Genesis. They had set in motion this scheme where they put some blood on some cloth and presented it to a garment from Joseph. Said, see, this is the blood. They had set in motion all these things. And friends, we need to get rid of the web work of deception in our lives. We need to walk more and more in truth and more and more in honesty in those things which are truly light for us and deliverance for us. And as Joseph revealed himself, you know what else was going to be revealed? The cold-heartedness and the callousness of his brothers to him. And not only to him, but many times as I've read about their deception with their father, Jacob. I have thought, and maybe you've thought the same thing. I have thought, how could they see their father mourning with such pitiful mourning over their son and not speak up and say, no, dad, no, no, Abba. He's still alive. We don't know what happened, but we did this. And they never fessed up. They never confessed. They had been living with this lie this whole time. And not only was it a cold-heartedness towards Yosef, but it got to be cold-heartedness towards their very father who had given them life, their father. And later on, they'll be told, children of Israel are told, even as we are told now, that we are to honor our father and our mothers. They had watched their father Jacob mourn they had heard and sensed the ache in his heart for this beloved son of him. Remember, he loved Joseph in a special way. Had he even given Joseph a kutone pasim, a, a coat of many colors to distinguish him. But they still let his father, they let him continue to believe that Joseph had been ravaged by wild animals. So with the revealing of Joseph to his brothers, there are some corollary ideas that are immense. For example, there are some new questions that this could bring forth. Will Joseph now exact revenge? He's, <laughs> he's the one that's in authority in Egypt. They're not. They're, in a sense, if I can use the term, they're begging and trying to get food to survive a famine. And as he reveals himself, the text told us that they, they were only in the second year of a seven-year famine. Will Joseph exact revenge? Is, he, he's, is Joseph the type of person that's been stewing all this time and holding it in and just waiting to get his revenge? They're wondering this. The brothers are wondering, is he going to do this to us? They're probably also wondering, will Joseph tell Jacob what really happened? All this time they had created this yarn, this lie about what had happened to Joseph. Will Joseph now pull Yaakov in his elderly age and, and pull him aside and tell him what really happened? Will Joseph now tell Jacob what Jacob's sons had done to his other son, Joseph? Will he do that? 
And if he does, will Jacob exact revenge? How's Jacob going to respond? These are questions that, will we exact revenge? Will he disinherit them? Will he remove the blessing or will he disown them? Those things are extremely important with the avot, with the patriarchs. Will he do all that? How will Father Jacob respond once he realizes the true nitty-gritty of this? How will he respond? And then there's the other side, and this does pop up in the text even in this week's parasha. Will the brothers kind of get into the blame game? <laughs> will they uh, start accusing one another for the very evil deeds? Will they, they try to, uh, you know, whitewash their whole situation? Will, or will they, will, they, will they try to justify their actions, what they did to the brother? Will Joseph want restitution? All these years that he suffered, will he want restitution from his brothers? We'll say, okay, now it's time to pay up. You owe me this. All these years you have caused me to suffer. Now we need restitution. Will he do that? Will Joseph decide he's going to snub his brothers? Just leave them hanging, so to say, as the colloquialism says. Just leave them hanging in their desperate situation. Will he do that? I mean, really, the sky's the limit of all the things that Joseph could do now that the truths come out. And will Jacob, will Jacob ever again trust his sons? And trust is a great compliment. If someone trusts you, it's a great compliment to you. So be thankful when someone trusts you, when they can trust you. That's a great compliment. So all these questions and similar ones, and there are more, became part of the scenario that was developing as we read through the Torah portion with Joseph as he made his identity known to his brothers. And as you can see, the revealing of Joseph to his brothers and to his father was a monumental action. You know, this whole thing had been building up to that. If we didn't know the story of Joseph, we could see that something was coming to a culmination point. And a very potentially great repercussions are connected with all this. And I want to suggest to you that even as Joseph, when he reveals himself to his brothers, it became a great trial for his brothers for some of the reasons I just mentioned. It was also a great trial for Joseph because now he had the possibility, the power, the authority to do all that I mentioned and more to his brothers if he wanted to. It says of Joseph that he was like a father to Pharaoh. The only one greater than him in authority in Egypt well, apparently was the Pharaoh, the king himself. And this becomes a trial for Joseph because naturally speaking, if you think about it, I don't know how you would respond in this kind of circumstance. Joseph held the fate of his brothers in his very hand. <laughs> he could have them vanquished. He could have them cast into prison or thrown into a pit. He could falsely accuse them of some indiscretion. He could sell them into slavery or bondage. He could make them into vassals to some pagan uh, couple or thing. And after all, Joseph himself had encountered all that in his life as a result of the brothers' decisions concerning him and trying to get rid of him. He experienced all that. The jails, the jail of Egypt, the false accusation, all that came to him because of what his brothers did to him. It's at this very juncture, I think, when Joseph has the power and authority to get even, get revenge with his brothers, in my estimation, and maybe you would agree with this, it's at this very point when he doesn't do that that some of the greatest glory shines through Joseph. He had the chance to get even. You know what? But he didn't. Genesis chapter 45, verse 4 says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, Ani Yosef Achichem. I am Joseph, your brother. I don't know what tone of voice he used. I don't see it as a harsh tone. I see it because he says, he said, come near to us. Come near to me. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now... 
Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And here, I think, is the key that we must get. That in the middle of Joseph's worst circumstances, and he had terrible circumstances, he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord's hand in the middle of the worst times of his life. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you set, sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph shines in this circumstance when he could have exacted revenge and restitution and all that he could have done. He shines because you know what he does with his brothers? <laughs> he deals kindly with them. He deals kindly with them. He deals kindly with his brothers despite the great evil that they had done to him. He deals kindly with them. And why? Why does he do that? I think part of the answer is because Joseph recognized the sovereignty of God even in his worst circumstances. Friends, when you're facing difficulties in your life, look beyond the difficulty to him who's greater. It's the Lord. When you're facing personal challenges in your life, don't focus on the personal challenge. Focus on him that nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing's impossible for him. Focus on him. If you're having relational problems or relationship problems, don't just have daggers out for that other person you're having a problem with. Instead, have a heart that's beating for him who's able to work in the hearts of men and women. And make sure that you look to him first and foremost when you face the most adverse circumstances. Because it was through some of these trials that Joseph went through that some of the great proven character came into his life. And, you know, we're told in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, in Yaakov in James chapter 1, it's a most unusual beginning for an epistle because by verse 2, this is verse 2. <laughs> this is basically how this epistle begins. Verse 2, James 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. <laughs> Savlanut. But let savlanut, let long-suffering, let patience have its perfect work. Not a partial work, but its perfect work, its complete work. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And notice how Joseph called his brothers. He called what his brothers did. He called it what it was. You know, he didn't soft soap what they did. I'm always impressed by this when I read the story of Joseph. He says, you did sell me into bondage. <laughs> he basically says, you did mistreat me. He didn't re revise the history or the reality. He actually dealt with the reality of what had happened. And amazingly, even as Joseph stuck with the reality, he didn't try to make excuses for his brothers. He knew what they did was wrong. And be careful if you're always trying to make excuses for your wrong behavior. There is something we should do with wrong behavior. You know what it's called? Teshuvah, repentance. Fess up. Confess to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Get it right. Otherwise, you'll keep doing the same thing over and over again. The same old thing over and over again. Joseph extended grace. He extended forgiveness to his brothers. It's amazing to me. In a sense, he, can we use our terminology? He ministered to them. And Joseph said to his brothers, as I've mentioned already, as we read in uh, chapter 45 of Genesis, God sent me before you to preserve life. He recognized divine purpose. Please, in your life, recognize divine purpose. 
Don't lose it in the midst of trials when you face trials. Keep your eyes focused on that prize, that prize of kingdom. Keep your eyes focused on doing kingdom work and serving him who is the king, Yeshua the Messiah. And it's amazing that Joseph could have exacted a pound of flesh, to quote Shylock <laughs> from the Merchant of Venice. He could have exacted a pound of flesh from his brothers. But you know what he did instead? He extended grace and forgiveness to them. It's amazing. Now, there's much more to say, and I want to conclude with several passages of Scripture from the Brit Hadashah. We'll continue talking about some of this in the Shabbaton class. But let's conclude with, uh, I want to offer to you six New Covenant passages of Scripture, which I believe affirm to us, if there's any doubt in our mind, it affirms to us that how Joseph behaved towards his brothers after he revealed himself to them was very much pleasing to the Lord, how he behaved towards them. Again, how did he behave? He extended grace to them. He didn't exact from them. He extended grace. He, uh, in a sense, ministered to them, to use our term. And Yeshua, who's, a f who's far greater than Joseph, Yeshua extends grace to you and me today. How many of you are glad for the grace of God? I am. It's by this grace that we stand. Without his grace, there's really no hope. It's God's extension of mercy to us, his grace. First passage is from, again, the Sermon on the Mount, but it's earlier in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 44. Please notice this. This is ex it could have been considered extreme. There they are in the first century. They're under Roman bondage. They're under Roman authority. They're being abused by the Roman. What does he say? Yeshua says, but I, I, Yeshua, say to you, <laughs> love your enemies. How many of you think that's enough right there? Let's work on that one. <laughs> love your enemies, uh, but it goes further. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. It goes further. Do good to those who hate you. It goes further and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And we as a people, the Jewish people, we know all about this stuff. We really do. It says, verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then it describes this. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 46 in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 5 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors, the Moksim, do they not do the same thing? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, verse 48, what a challenging conclusionary verse this is to the section of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, you shall be perfect, blameless, innocent. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, here's two other statements. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. And again, consider our, our, our basic format here is the life of Joseph, but consider this. The life of Joseph is expressed in the book of Genesis, in the Torah. But the New Covenant says this in Romans 12, verse 17. It says, the beginning part, it says, Repay no one. How many is no one? <laughs> no one. Repay no one evil for evil. Romans 12, just a little later, verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And I don't need to remind you again another passage of Scripture from the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 says, but do not forget to do good. It seems to imply that we can kind of put doing what's right behind us and kind of forget about it. Put other things in front. Remember other ways, but not the idea about doing good. Do not forget to do good. And then it also says, and to share. For with such sacrifice, 
What does it say? That God is well pleased. The very same statement that is ascribed to Yeshua when it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. I believe he wants us to have a generous, a giving heart and an attitude deep inside of us that will inform our daily actions to do what's right, that's good in his sight. And you know, if we have freely received his grace, shouldn't we freely extend his grace? How many think we should extend his grace freely? Now, this next passage, I'd like you to notice two words in it from the New King James translation. The two words are affirm constantly. Affirm constantly. Here's what it says in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 8. Rapshul writes to Titus, who is a Greek. He writes to him, says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Careful to do what? To maintain good works. We know what the word maintenance means. Some of us have to do maintenance on our apartment, do maintenance on our home, maintenance on our car, something that needs to be continually done. But it says that, says be, to, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. And then it concludes, Titus 3, verse 8, and says, these things are good and profitable to men. Good and profitable. And lastly, let's conclude with this passage. There are many passages of Scripture that affirm to us that what Joseph did, he could have exacted revenge. He could have, he had their fate in his hands. He could have done many things to them. But what Joseph did was he took the highest possible mountaintop route towards his brothers which shows that he really loved them, even if they had despised and hated him. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 should be operative ideas in our lives as believers. Galatians 6, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and really that's what we look for, opportunities to do good. So we have opportunity. Let us do good to all. How many does that include? How many is included in the word all? All. <laughs> Let us do good to all. And then there's this, the caveat being, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to those of the household of faith. Will you pray with me? Let's close in prayer here. And I want to pray, maybe you need to extend forgiveness to someone today. I'd like you, as we end this year, 2022, I'd like you to do that where you're sitting. Here's an opportunity. We just use the word opportunity. Here's an opportunity for you to extend forgiveness to someone. Maybe you need to extend grace to someone. You've been very harsh, judgmental towards someone. You really passed judgment on them. You need to extend grace, keeping in mind that God is, will not be mocked at whatever a man sows he's going to reap, but extend grace to that person. Extend grace even to the very people that maybe give you trouble in your life. Extend grace to them. Pray God's blessing on them, not a curse and that this, we conclude 2022, let's desire to walk in genuine truthfulness before the Lord. And, and let's stop making excuses about things. If you do wrong, fess up. Get it right before God, and if necessary, before those who've wronged. Walk with a clean slate in the year ahead, not a slate that still has the smudge marks from things you didn't deal with in the past. Walk with a clean slate before the Lord by the blood of Yeshua, his son, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And let's minister to others as much as possible the very grace that comes through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Let's pray. And please take a moment where you're at. If there's anything I've said that 
strikes you that you need to get it right, start with getting it right before God and let him direct you on how to go forward. Lord, we praise you this Shabbat. Gadol Adonai, great is the Lord. Gadol Maasecha, great are your deeds. Gadol Havatecha, great is your love. We thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation. Thank you for working in our lives. Lord, I pray as we conclude this year, at least as this country deems this year, Lord, I pray that we would walk more in your light in the year ahead, however many days you give us. I pray, Lord, that we'd be extenders of your grace and mercy without compromising your standards. I pray, Lord, that we would be individuals who speak the truth in love and desire to see that your word is lifted up, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Please teach us your way. Guide us in your truth. Lamdenu Adonai, teach us, Lord. Direct us in your ways, Lord. Thank you for your mercy today. I thank you for each person here today. I ask that you would touch them in a special way, as only you can, because you know the hearts of all people. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.